Well, hey, Lakeview family and friends, well, welcome to Sunday service online, online only, yet again, this time not because of COVID, but because we decided to host a tropical storm named Cristobal this weekend, and so many of you will not able to be here. Um, hey, I want to do something before we start the service this morning, so go ahead and pull up a chair if you're not always already pulling up a chair. Uh, I just want to have a bit of a pastoral moment with us as a church. Maybe there's some folks that are watching today that you're not actually a part of Lakeview Christian Center, and you're welcome to listen in, but this is going to be a little bit of a family meeting, uh, and I'm going to share a few thoughts with us, just just relevant to the times that we are walking through. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed uh, around us the world is having a difficult time, to say the least, having a conversation about race. And I've jotted a few thoughts down. I I want to share with us, and I'm not trying to lecture the world here. I'm just trying to talk to us as a family. And and I want to do it within the context of your people that I know and you know who I am. And I'm speaking on behalf of the elders this morning to you. Uh, we're, We're not the world. If you are in Christ, you have entered a society where the vilest of sinners was pursued by the living God on the basis of his grace and his mercy. God the Father, this is radical and crazy, God the Father pursued the children of the devil. Right? I know that sounds nuts, but that's what the Bible describes as those of us who are apart from Christ. He pursued us. I was, as were you, in the race of Adam, a race that rose up and at the first opportunity killed his own son who came to this earth to rescue us. So this is the people that we come from. And we get to come into a society where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. But we have been welcomed into a union together with each other and with Christ that is just staggering to ponder. And we have been made supernatural creatures. We are not just human beings with a past. We have been given the very spirit of God to live and to be what we could never be on our own. So with that being true, it would be a very sad day for the people of God not to be able to have conversations together about issues of race, inequality, injustice, suffering. It would be a sad day that in this hour, when the kingdom of God needs to be as salty as it's ever been and as much light in the darkness as it's ever been, that we can't have a conversation with each other about some difficult topics. So I just want to share a few thoughts with us today as you're traveling through this and hopefully as we travel into the future, we need to have a conversation about race. We need to do it. And we need to be wise about how we do it. Um, I'm going to give us some suggestions on how to do it. I don't do it from the standpoint of being a race specialist. I'm not. I do it from the standpoint of being a conversation specialist as a pastor and as a person who communicates and who's trying to learn himself how to speak godly in all settings. That's my specialty. Not a race specialist, but I am a conversation specialist. So here would be my suggestions for us. One. Seek to be informed about the issues affecting the African-American experience. That's not true for all of us. We don't all understand the situation that we're examining as a society right now. 
seek to be informed, seek to learn, seek to better understand. Uh, I, am, I am indebted to individuals, and because I, I, I think you've got to do this carefully, I think you have to seek out information that's not simply coming to us in moments like these, where the only thing we're getting is the news report of an incident of someone who was killed. And that frames our discussion. There's so much more that needs to be understood that comes from outside this moment. So I am indebted to folks who have sat down with me and had conversations through the years. Fadge and Rufus Flowers, who I, you know, African-American members of our church for many years, who have walked with me and have been related to me. Benjamin Watson, who for hours sat with me and, and shared with me his life and his background and his family and his experience. Happen to have a dear friend here today when we're recording Ronnie Sloan, who just he and I just sat down just a few weeks ago, talked about these very subjects. Uh, we need to be able to hear things that help us better understand. And so can I recommend something to you? One, if you have friends like Ronnie and others, uh, sit down and have conversations with them. Listen carefully to what life feels like uh, in their world from their perspective, what their family and their background has grown up in. An excellent read would be Benjamin Watson's book, Under Our Skin. Don't know if I could recommend something better that would be helpful to understand what it's like to walk in America and experience what's going on here. Uh, We need those perspectives. Second, beware of social media. Uh, Social media is a medium of communication. It, it, It doesn't come with very good instructions. It doesn't tell you how to use it very well. It doesn't tell you what its problems and its dangers are. Um, It's better designed for short outbursts than it is for caring conversations. So if you're seeking to have a caring conversation, you're probably going to have a hard time using social media to accomplish that. And I hope you are seeking to do more than just have a short outburst uh, in public. Social media lacks context. Let me read a thought I wrote down. Uh, When you go into social media, post something, uh, you don't know who you're talking to which means you don't know their background, you don't know their perspective, you don't know their experiences. Uh, you may be even engaging a different subtopic than the one that they're even talking about. You know, and There's a race topic, and then there's multiple subtopics underneath that. And this person's talking about this, and you're talking about that, and this is what we're doing in social media today. We're talking past each other, and we're not hearing things. So I would suggest that if social media is in your world, be aware of its use in this context. Conversations need to be had. Third, if you want to build agreement, and I, I would hope for every one of us in the body of Christ, we want to build agreement. Uh, here's a suggestion. Try talking about one thing at a time. Right? If you post an image of a, a protest where there's a gathering of people, In that protest, there could be a variety of signs held up saying a variety of things. That protest could feature peaceful demonstration. That protest could feature buildings on fire. That protest could have police uh, kneeling and praying with an audience. That protest could have police out of bounds in their behavior. But yet, I'm going to respond to a single image that's not saying one thing. It's saying many things. Very hard for us to have a conversation when so many things are trying to be discussed at once. Can I just give you a couple of suggestions? Talk about one thing. How do you feel about a 46-year-old man who was killed 
under the circumstances that George Floyd was killed under? Question mark. Stop. Nothing else. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about members of our community, friends, many of them, who are affected by these events in a way that stirs up everything from fear to anger to frustration? Question mark. Stop. How do you feel about that? It's impossible for me to fully identify with somebody in that category. I just had a conversation with Ronnie just before we started this service. Uh, I'm holding back tears because I am seeing how affected this man is by what's going on. That guy's my friend whom I love. I can stop right there and I can learn something about walking with people in that moment. But there's a lot going into this conversation, right? How do you feel about what needs to be done to address this problem? Stop. Now, be prepared. If you're going to venture into that question, the person you're conversing with has some different ideas than you do. They have some different convictions. They would start in a different place than you would. They would highlight different priorities than you would. So whether you're black or you're white and you want to have this conversation, are you going to be able to let that other person be in a different place than you're in so that you can at least talk about what the issues are? How do we go about fixing problems that we're seeing in this area. Okay, well, well, now we're describing social behavior and social structures. Are you prepared for that to be a little bit more of a complex discussion than just an instant post that sounds like it fixes everything? And are you prepared for people to have a different view than you do and for you to listen carefully for where they're coming from and try and understand somebody else's perspective? Listen, I'm not speaking to the president. I'm not speaking to anybody who organizes a protest. I'm not speaking to media outlets. I'm speaking to the body of Christ, in particular, Lakeview Christian Center. You know me. I know you. I'm speaking to you and everybody else. I'm I'm not trying to have a conversation with the world in this moment. Uh, We need to have a conversation about race. But we're going to need some help if we're going to have it. It's going to be helpful. So let me give you just one last thought before I pray came across this thought from a pastor in Washington, D.C. named Bobby Jameson. He said, there are two basic ways we can try to preserve unity in the face of divisive issues. And can I just sign everybody on board for that? Did you know, with the multitude of issues that exist in our life and in our world, as a Christian, you are called to preserve unity in the body of Christ. He said, we can rule certain conversations off-limits, or we can lower the stakes. By lower the stakes, I mean acting, speaking, and listening in such a way that it's clear to the person you're with that your love for them is strong enough to weather disagreement. These don't become litmus tests of whether or not I'm going to love you. How are you going to respond to this question? How can you lower the stakes? He says, as James 1.19 says, be Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says, whatever your experience of racial injustice has been, whatever your explanation of it, 
How can you work to lower the stakes in discussing it so that more and more of us can bear more and more of each other's burdens? And that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're praying for as elders, as we navigate this together, as we seek to be light in this world, in this day, and in this hour. Now, listen, I just wanted to set that before us. I know there's a lot of stuff happening, and I want, wanted you to hear from us in the midst of all that's going on in our culture. But can we pray together? We're about to venture into a service together before God. What a privilege this is. So can we bow our hearts and bow our heads together and pray? Father, we enter this service understanding that we are standing on holy ground. Having been pursued welcomed and embraced by a God who has been offended at the deepest level by each one of us. Yet we will sing and celebrate who you are to us together. And you will teach us from your word. And that word will have a conversation with our lives. Lives that are far from you in so many ways. Race is just one of them. Yet you will come to us, take us by the hand, lead us, correct us, and call us to change in so many ways. That we are humbled and amazed that you are willing to have such a conversation with us, humbled and so grateful. Oh God, what a mystery. Amen. Come behold the wondrous mystery In the dawning of the King He the theme of heaven's praises Robed in frail humanity In our longing, in our darkness Now the light of life has come Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom
Come behold the wondrous mystery Christ the Lord upon the tree In the stead of ruined sin our place hangs the Lamb in victory See the price of our redemption See the Father's plan unfold Bringing many sons to glory Grace unmeasured, love untold Thank you for your love, oh God Sin for us Come behold the wondrous mystery Slain by death a God of life But no grave could e'er restrain Him Praise the Lord, He is alive What a foretaste of deliverance How unwavering our hope Christ in Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Yes, we will. Thank you for your hope placed in our hearts. I'm going to learn a song this morning, so join in learning this with us. It goes like this. We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side. You will go before us. You will lead the way. We've found a refuge only you can save. Sing with joy now. Our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now. No love is greater. Who Stand against us if our God is for us. Sing that verse again. We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side. You will go before us. You will lead the way. We have found a refuge. strong and mighty fortress raise your voice now no love is greater who can stand against us if our God is for us so verse 2 even when I stumble even when I stumble even when I fall even when I turn back still your love is sure you will not You will cheer me on, but never ending grace. 
Tempest, 
through the flood he carries me. This is your love, Lord. My Redeemer's love will lead me through the deepest valley here. He will shepherd me and guide me. He will ever keep me near. Seas higher than the mountain peaks, your love is all I need. Stronger, stronger than the rushing wind, shattering the power of sin. Eternity draws near. I'll enjoy his love forever at his throne for endless years. My Redeemer's love will fill me on the day I see his face. I will love him back forever And forever sing His praise And forever sing His praise Look forward to that day And forever sing His praise And forever sing His praise love I know it's true 
my joy to honor you. Sing it again. Amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? joy to honor you in all I do I honor you in all I do I honor you Psalm 33 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Then he ends that psalm with this prayer Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Lord, so we, we as your church, Lord, we do that. We, we, we turn our eyes to you, Lord, we, we place our attention on you. Our hope is not in finding answers to problems when our hope is in your ability. Lord, you being the answer. That's what our hope is in. Lord, thank you, God, that you have chosen in a mysterious way, Lord, to set your love upon us. Lord, may that ever make us grateful. May it ever leave us in wonder and awe. Lord, would it give, uh, give affection to our songs? Would it give... Um, energy and motivation to our obedience to you, Lord. The fact that you have given us amazing grace, that you poured out amazing love upon us, that you would choose me to give that love to, to bring into your family, to, to change my nature. It's amazing to me, Lord. But we always stand amazed at your love, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, church, when we come before the Lord and we worship him, we are reminded of who God is for us. He is kind and merciful in when we bring our hearts to him, there is an awakening of our affections towards him. There is a desire to, to love him and to tell him that we love him. And, and that shows itself in what we do for him. And this last song that we sang had a, had a phrase, it's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I, I honor you. That connection and worship of, of doing what the heart is being led to do by the Lord. So as, as we move into a time of giving now, you know, giving is a form of worship. Giving is, in fact, a moment where we are led by what a God is doing in our hearts to do for him in the returning of what he has given for us. So, so how is your heart? How, how has your heart been towards God in the past number of weeks? And uh, it just so happens that, again, giving is a helpful tool that God uses to to show us, to reveal to us our hearts. And we see this in a scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do not lay up your, for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that will you worship. Where your treasure is, that will you worship and you will be gladly worshiping with full affections in that. So there's a number of ways that you could give your tithes and offerings to the Lord um, through our website, our mobile app, certainly through your bow, your uh, bill pay through the bank, or you can mail a check to the church. But let's go back to the Lord in prayer and thank him for what he's done in our hearts and ask him to, to fill us with affections and desires to honor him in all we do, including in our tithes and offerings. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. Lord, before you did anything on our behalf, you were a good God. And you continue to be good, Lord, in spite of everything that may happen in our lives that we have no answers to, Lord. But thank you, God, for being good. Thank you, God, for being who you are. And thank you for giving us affections for you, that we may, in fact, have joy in honoring you for everything you do for us, Lord. Now, Father, as we move into a time of listening to your word, Father, would you fill us with your spirit to understand what we are to hear, Lord, and to put it into practice, Lord, in a joyful and humble way. Grant us this wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Evan, would you bring us the word now? Amen. Well, good morning, LCC family. Sorry that we cannot be together on this Sunday. Uh, But if you have your Bible with you as you watch this, and I hope that you do, if you would uh, turn, surprise, surprise, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with us. Uh, If you can remember where that even is in your Bible, uh, you know, we might not be able to remember much of what happened before mid-March. But I'll, I'll, I'll help us, I'll take us back there. I've got uh, a tale from 2019, you know, that, that distant, strange land before time. And it, the scene is, is Christmas Eve, and we are at my parents' house opening presents, and uh, my three-year-old looks on urgently as I try to set free the truck that he's just been given from the, the layers of plastic and cable ties and welding that hold all toys secure before all those supplies get thrown into the ocean. And my brother-in-law, Brad, notices that I'm having a struggle with that, and so he hands me the serrated knife that he had been up early that morning sharpening, and it, it does the trick. It slices through all of the fasteners and straight through my thumb. And over the course of the next hour, as it's bleeding and I'm putting pressure on it and kind of bleed through a whole roll of paper towels, uh, the rest of my family, they, they insist that I go ahead at that point and head to the ER. And so I announced that Christmas is officially canceled in my absence. And uh, since I hadn't at that point traveled outside of the continental United States, Oshner Kinner decided to treat me and they fixed me up. And the week that follows is just one moment after another realizing all of the things that I need my right thumb in order to do. Right? I can't open up our, our bag of dark roast community coffee because I don't have the thumb backing needed to pull it apart. You know, I, I tend to wear men's shirts and those happen to button from right to the left. And that is a struggle as well. 
And I don't want to get too graphic with you, but, uh, you know, I end up trying to zip up my pants with my index finger and middle finger and then realize my, my left hand would work uh, just as well for that one. But, but the opposable thumb that distinguishes us from much of the animal world was no longer available to me. But one thought reassured me. I, I knew I had a great illustration for a sermon on 1 Corinthians 12. And here we are. So if you read that with me, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of, uh, were an eye, if it were an ear, you'd still be able to hear. If it were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, it is, it's kind of God that we would be studying this passage this week. You know, Pastor Keith had already been planning, led by the Lord, that we would be returning to 1 Corinthians around this time. And, and there's, there's much noise that we are bringing with us into this moment. And it's hard to pull your eyes and your ears away from it. And, and much of it matters. But our priority is to hear from God. God's word is the interpretive authority on everything that we experience, and he provides help where we need it most, even when we're not first aware of what we need. But it's not just this week, but this season we've been in that highlights our need for this. We've been living in days in which the fellowship of the body has been under strain for for a number of reasons. And here Paul uses this physical metaphor 
for the gathered church. And it's difficult to imagine an experience in a day when we're still largely scattered. I mean, this morning, case in point, as we once again interact through a screen. And yet this text is so tangible, right? It has the feeling of of flesh and bone. But even when we're able to to gather together, we have in one service about 10% of the congregation and we're, we're not able to hug one another, not able to lay our hands on one another in prayer, trying to catch up with one another from six feet apart and from behind a mask. And, th- and this passage reminds us that this time should feel abnormal. We might not need help uh, remembering that. But, but this is a priority that we're going to need to relearn and to fight to experience again. And some of our members who who can't be present when we gather might feel isolated. They might feel less significant. They might feel unseen, left behind as services have picked up again. And I know the challenge that some of our our singles experienced during the shutdown is you watched families getting together and, and having quality time and making memories and complaining about how many people were in the house while you sat alone. And I read somewhere that the health effect of loneliness is similar to chain smoking. And, and for many, that is prolonged. And, and I want you to know, we feel this. I feel this, the, the absence of members of the body that I haven't been around recently. Right? I, I need you. I, I need your particular gifts. And, and I love to get, getting to speak with some of our senior saints on the phone and, and hearing the ways that they have been praying and, and doing heavy lifting in the kingdom of God. And Paul's going to make that explicit through the Holy Spirit this morning as well. And and there are ways that this present cultural moment threatens the unity of the body. We live in divisive days. And there are differences of of opinion in our church as to everything from whether we should be gathering right now, not this weekend, but in general, right? Whether that's safe yet, whether that's considerate. As to, you know, is it some form of capitulation on our part to follow the government directives as to how we gather, right? We don't all see things the same way on this, and, and some of us have really strong opinions about that. You know, I've heard it illustrated with uh, the town of, of, of Bristol and, and State Street, which is on the, the border between Virginia and Tennessee, and, and they had taken, uh, you know, in the initial startup phases, they had taken two different plans on what would open up and when, and so literally on one side of the street, you had restaurants that were uh, opened with, you know, indoor seating, and on the other side of the street, they were doing takeout only, and, and often the church can feel the same way. Divided right down the middle. And then the events of the past two weeks that Pastor Keith has already taken us into. The tragic killing of George Floyd in police custody and that on on the heels of the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. The protests and the riots that have followed. And we have members in our midst, people of color who are hurt, 
who are grieving, who are feeling misunderstood by their fellow believers as they watch a majority white congregation and what animates us and what we might be silent about. And then there are people in our church with, with a different set of concerns. Right? The, the headlines that, that trouble you and make you afraid. Some have family members in law enforcement. And not everyone agrees about what aspects of injustice are the primary ones. And what should be done to remedy that. And did anybody notice the fact that it's an election year? I mean, nobody's talking about that, right? <laughs> and all the while, right, we, we're sorting through these things in a disembodied, not face-to-face social media frenzy. But verse 13, Jew and Greek, slave and free in one body. This isn't the first time that the people of God have had trouble pulling off unity. And I, I'm grateful for that insight. As we've seen the, the Corinthians, if you can remember back to our, our study, right? They, too much of their fellowship was being defined by the surrounding culture. They weren't living as an alternative community. They, they looked like the world in many respects. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for the Corinthian troubles, right? You know, some of the most amazing places in Scripture are prompted by things that they messed up. You know, I think next week, Pastor Keith, it will take us into 1 Corinthians 13. And, and what a beautiful passage that is. And yet, what an ugly backdrop that necessitated it. And here we have this rich theological picture of the body of Christ, of the lived reality of the gospel as it incorporates a diverse people. And we're going to consider just two things together today. One, that all members are interdependent. And two, all members are indispensable. First, all members are interdependent. Body parts on their own are not pleasant. (laughs) If you've come through the Alpha course, you may have heard uh, Pastor Keith use the illustration of, if you're walking along one day and you find a finger by itself just hanging out in the grass, right? are you going to move toward that or away from that? You're not likely to pick it up and bring it home as a nice Mother's Day gift, although Father's Day is coming uh, up and that might be appreciated uh, in, in that respect. But, but members must be vitally connected to the body. And the body needs to have more than one kind of member. And Paul pulls out the, the, these common sense pictures, right? A whole body that were an eye would be freakish, it would be non-functional, and it would not be able to live. And if you want an example of kind of the weird scenarios that could be created by this, right, check out this, uh, this coloring sheet from our LCC Kids Ministry uh, on 1 Corinthians 12 with uh, this guy that has ears for arms. And, and yes, if your children have been in our kids ministry, they have colored this picture. And if any of them were traumatized by the experience, you can send your emails to Ellen, that's E-L-L-E-N, at lakeviewchristiancenter.com, and she would love to get your feedback back. But a a body can't function without both unity and diversity, right? The parts need to be different, but the parts 
need to be together. They need to be different, but they need to be together. Otherwise, we die. Right? In verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Answer, it wouldn't be. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Right? This is interdependence. And Pastor Peter, who's watching this, would uh, rightly fire me from his home if I failed to mention the fact that this relationship between one body and many parts, it, it reflects the nature of our triune God, who forever has existed as one being, perfect unity, and yet three distinct divine persons in perfect fellowship, and what he has designed to be mirrored and imaged among his people and his church. But in God's providence, so much of life works this way. I mean, just think about the economic world. I mean, we've watched this recently, and I've got no hot takes on the economy. Sorry to disappoint you. I know that's what you were looking for today. Um, But, you know, just amazing to to watch how the, the, you know, product uh, transmission works and how, um, you know, a, a, a meat processing plant in South Dakota can create a shortage down here in Metairie, all, all these interconnected layers. And, and, and the market operates with what's been described as a globe-spanning web of interconnectedness. And we couldn't even create some of the most basic products on our own. Uh, th- this is uh, chronicled in a, in a book titled The Toaster Project, or a heroic attempt to build a simple electric appliance from scratch by Thomas Thwaites. And it it tells uh, the author's story of uh, dismantling the cheapest toaster that he could find and reverse engineering it and and trying to create all the parts. He he disassembled it. He found that there were 400 pieces. There were wires and springs and screws and plastic casing from manufacturers all over the world. And he had to go into mines to extract his own iron, iron, copper, and mica and convert the iron into steel and make his own plastic casings from potato starch. And in the end, he ended up spending $1,792 and nine months to build a brave little toaster that barely worked, right? We need others in order to function. And in that toaster example, you know, one manufacturer of a, of a little transistor could not predict all of the places that it would land, all the ways that it would contribute. And, and, and that's why God's purpose is for believers to experience the life of the body. He brings us into the church and we don't know, we don't know all the parts and all the members that we will need in order to do life. But he does, right? Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And how comforting that is. God's care for us personally and as a church. And how that ought to lead us to appreciate the the variety that God has brought together, right? In in, in the surrounding context, the, the different gifts and the different manifestations of the spirit, different areas of ministry that God leads people to engage, even the ones that we don't tend to have preferences for. You catch that? There are a few things that have been developing over the 
past several decades. And, and one is the multiplying of options, everything from what you can find in the aisle in the grocery store to a thousand things you can instantly stream on Netflix, right? You experience choice anxiety just trying to pick out what you want to do to entertain yourself, right? That, that, that's one factor. And as a result of that, the elevation of preferences, right? When, when there, there's more out there on the market, we get to be selective shoppers. We get to narrow what we're looking for in any given product. And we can take that same kind of approach into the life of the church, right? We have our shopping list. We come in with our expectations of what we want to hear, what we want to see, what we want to have emphasized, what we want people to be, how we want them to respond to us. And and we have difficulty relating with and finding value in what might not show up on our list. And something different or something that emphasizes things that might not be our favorite can be treated as wrong. But God, you see this here, God has intended for us to experience variety. And and variety, by definition, doesn't look like you. Look at this thought from Benjamin Watson. He says, unity is not uniformity. It is an intentional merging of diverse yet equally valuable characters and characteristics for a common purpose under a banner greater than each part. And ultimately, that that greater than purpose is the mission of the gospel. It is an ambitious and seemingly unattainable goal at times, yet it is worth the effort to attain. It takes the effort and it is worth the effort to attain. And yes, I signed on to Facebook to to jot down that quote and then signed off and repented in dust and ashes after I did that. But a a church with with just one emphasis, just one personality type, just one spiritual gift, one kind of ministry is not healthy. Over time, it starts to look like that freakish coloring sheet that we saw up there. And God loves you. And so he has connected you on purpose to people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, and who don't act like you. Paul brings attention to another aspect of interdependence, right? What affects one part of the body affects the whole. So he says in verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And think about the way that pain works in, in the human body. You know, there, there are nerve endings and pain receptors, and, and it, it's all connected to each other. I mean, just think about the last time that you stubbed your toe. You stubbed your little toe. I, I bet the rest of your body got involved. I mean, you know, there, there are two pieces of furniture in our house that are always running into me, always running into my uh, little toe, and I make some kind of noise and reaction that causes my wife to come darting in, and then all of a sudden her, her countenance just falls, and she realizes she doesn't need to be engaged in this situation. None of the kids are hurting right now as I'm kind of curled up on, on the floor. But if, if you fracture your femur, looking at you, Bill Treby, Right? Your, your arms get involved and your shoulders on, on crutches and they bear the weight. They compensate. They become inconvenienced. As a church, we suffer together. 
We feel the burdens of others. We don't get to be unaffected. We identify with the parts of the body that are hurting or abused. We share their tears. And we care about their fears. And we don't begin by explaining away their suffering. Or providing reasons as to why they shouldn't feel the way that they do. We decide to feel what they feel. We're not quick to move on. We welcome the discomfort that it brings. We, we don't find their suffering to be tiresome, to be untimely, to need to work according to our schedule. And, and by the way, that's how we often treat grieving people especially if we haven't walked through significant grief ourselves. We we often find grieving people not easy to be around. And they start to pick up on that after a while, that that they're behind the timeline that you supplied for them, that they're, they're supposed to have moved on sooner, that you're grading their emotional responses and, and letting them know which ones are appropriate. And, and whether it's the, it's the grieving black community in our midst or it's the widow in your small group, do you allow for the uncomfortable time and space needed for the fact that when one member suffers, all suffer together? I love the way that Ed Welch describes this here, how we, we must not be quick to move on from someone else's pain. He says, when people are lodged in our hearts, we remember them. Think of a time when someone checked in with you long after you spoke of a particular grief. That is love. So we hold victims of injustice in our hearts and we keep holding them. This kind of love will be seen in prayer, conversations, grief, and creative ways to do something while we invite the world to meet the king who rules with gentleness and judges with righteousness. This is a word for right now, but it's a word we're we're going to need in our days ahead. With whom are you suffering in the body? With whom are you suffering? Rejoicing. Who are you walking with in, in ways that their experience has a bearing on yours? Right? We, we live in the don't put that on me culture, right? And so part of us has an aversion to this. And, and Paul essentially says, hey, welcome to church. Here are some new burdens that you didn't have when you came in. That now you get to carry along with whatever was going on in, in your life. But, but this is a grace from God. We need this, not just to benefit others. We need the benefit of this because we become so insulated. Our our troubles become the measuring stick for whether life is in a good place and whether God has been kind to us. And and it's like we, we have no more spare thought or emotional capacity to lend to other people, which is why we tend to take their experience and stuff it in the narrative that makes sense cleanly for us so that we can kind of move on to staring back at our own lives. But, but, but this is beneficial to us. The, the joys and sufferings of other believers can rescue us from our myopic perspective. 
right? We, we, we need the blessing of letting what we're complaining about be eclipsed by the troubles of those that we love. We need the ability of rejoicing with those who are rejoicing to, to be pulled out of our self-pity into celebration of what God is doing in another member of the body. We need the connection and the contribution of our brothers and sisters. And that's the second principle the Spirit gives here, that all members are indispensable. And here's how Paul words this in a similar passage in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, starting in, in March, we, we all received a, a new set of vocabulary, right? You know, phrases like social distancing, and flatten the curve. I mean, you, you were just using that phrase all the time two years ago, weren't you? Right? Uh, toilet paper shortage. Um, and another one of those phrases was essential workers. And, and just think about that for a, a little bit. You know, we, we discovered, you know, there, there are the kind of categories that immediately come to mind as to how you would describe an essential worker. So obviously the people on the front lines of healthcare, the doctors and the, and the nurses and those who are at the grocery stores and, and getting the products that people need. But, but you just kind of keep working out and, and there's the people showing up at, at the energy plant to make sure that you have power at your home. And there's those who work at Cox Cable who supposedly are providing you internet at home as you're working from there during the stay-at-home period of time. There's the Amazon delivery person who brings you what you order. There, there are zookeepers, right, who are keeping animals alive and feeding them and cleaning their cages. There are essential oil suppliers. I mean, essential is in the name of that product, right? It's not an easy designation. But notice what Paul says here. Every member is essential. Every part must Work. It's a call for every part to work, for every believer to take ownership for the overall growth of the body. It's a, it's a reminder that our growth and our health cannot be accomplished by leaving any member behind. We, we can't dismiss certain spiritual gifts with, without dividing the work of the Holy Spirit and, and we can't dismiss a part of the body without dismantling Christ. And so it says in verse 12, 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. you know, it's, it's one thing to say that, hey, we need everybody's gifts. Everybody's got a talent to bring. I mean, nobody's going to openly disagree with that sentiment. But do we really believe that we need, do you really believe that you need every member of the body? Because honestly, we, we don't like the thought of needing other people. Right? We, we, we don't like the idea that our thoughts and what we can bring to the table and our understanding isn't enough. 
I have no need of you. It, it expresses the attitude of some of the Corinthians toward their, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And there were reasons why they felt that way. Heart conditions of pride and partisanship, right? There was a self-confidence that they had and there was a loyalty to certain things that caused them to find some of their fellow believers to be dispensable. One of the ways that this attitude gets expressed in us. We can do that relationally. I, I have no need of you because you think differently than I do. I struggle to understand you. Working with you slows me down. I just can't handle the pace that you require. It, it doesn't work for me, right? And, and husbands and wives can treat one another that way. People on teams can do that to each other, and we can do that to one another in the church as well. And, and, and you know, that feels wrong today. Our, our, our culture tells us we should not have to deal with the discomfort that comes in working with people that we don't get. And it clearly it's what God has called us to do. We can do that ideologically or politically. You know, unless you align with my particular political angle and interpretation of the world, then I've got no need of you. You're done. I've canceled my subscription to having your thoughts invade my life. We can do that generationally. Younger people can do that to older generations to say, I have no need of you, right? Your life experience does not have some of the unique details that happened to mark mine. And so you can't speak into my life. Okay, boomer, you know, you had your chance. You move on, your time is done. Older generations might be concerned or disturbed by the viewpoints of those who are younger than them. And Pastor Keith described uh, last week this, this day of deconstruction that we're, we're, we're living in. But, you know, as you watch your children and your grandchildren start to move away from your ideas and, and you want to protect them, which is right, but just, just make sure that it's God's ideas that you are defending and not human traditions, because you might be reacting to something that bugs you for reasons that are outside of the Bible, if you're honest, right? I don't get why that's a big deal for you. I don't understand why that animates you, and so you can dismiss it or make fun of that. It can be another way of saying, I have no need of you. I don't like the way that you're calling into question what our generation has done makes me feel. Every generation has its blind spots, right? That, that's why God has put us together in one body on purpose. It's how it's supposed to work. So younger generation, we, we need to receive the wisdom of our elders. Older generation, don't, don't take offense at change or adjustment just because it's different. And we all like the idea of diversity, <laughs> Uh, that's popular today, but often what we want is, is just to wear the diversity badge, right? We want the nobility that comes with that more than we're willing to the difficult, do the difficult work that's required to live it 
and to have different parts in one body. We tend to want, as Benjamin Watson put it, we, we want uniformity rather than unity. And it's like, I, I, I've got 10 categories that matter to me, and you've got to be 10 for 10. If you're 9 for 10, I'm done, right? You've you, you got to align here, 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 and there with me in order for us to be able to cooperate with one another. And, 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 and every age and ethnicity and political party is doing that these days. And we're willing to break fellowship over things that, that aren't even secondary matters in the kingdom of God. You know, we, we, we could be really passionate about things that aren't, just aren't clear in Scripture and show little passion for what is. And then we self-select what voices we'll listen to. And, you know, you can have your own little individual tribe, and that might be a narrow group of people outside of the church, and you listen to their podcasts, or you follow their feeds, or you look on at what they're promoting. But, but if God has called you to this body, there are members in this body that he knows you need. You need their interference. And you need the blessing of being vitally connected to them with the tensions and the challenges that it creates. And whom do you see as weaker or as unpresentable? And the Corinthians had their list. We have ours. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There's our word. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Right now, I don't think we need an anatomy lesson in what Paul is talking about here. But, but he's aware, right? There, there are things that, that remain unseen to us or that we tend to belittle or that we don't platform. Right? We don't do that in the church. We don't do that in the, the places of life that we want to be noticed, associated with. And there is this tendency that was in Corinth, and we have our own versions of it, to, to favor certain things and to unappreciate what God has said has value. Right? There are unseen ministries that real power is at work through. People who are praying in, in ways that remain to us invisible. And yet they're held up in some of the places of highest honor in the kingdom of God. Right? In, in the, the history of the, of the church in America, there, there have been times and seasons when racially speaking, we have seen certain members as held in less honor, held as weaker, treated with less value. And that's noisy, right, rightfully, in our, our culture right now. But, but there are also categories that, you know, our culture will tell us to dismiss. So if you're an older white woman, right, you're, you're not to have an appreciated perspective right now. It's not your time to speak. It's your time to be quiet. That's why we need to allow God's word to write the script for what unity and harmony and diversity is intended to be and not just borrow what our culture supplies. And what is the opposite of division? What does it look like? 
Verse 26, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's what the church is supposed to feel like. That's what people are supposed to encounter in their experience here. Mutual affection, real relationships, knowing that you care. Are you you close enough with people in Christ, in this congregation, that they know you care, that they are available for you to serve? And, and, you know, we we feel the limitations that these days have placed on that. There have been some opportunities to fellowship together, to serve one another, but we we are praying for the day when the Lord will restore this to us fully. It's really striking to read John Stott's comments back in 1982 on the the future importance of embodied fellowship in a virtual world. He writes this, It is difficult to imagine the world in the year AD 2000, so 20 minutes, uh, 20 years, uh, it feels like minutes, uh, from where we're at now, by which time versatile microprocessors are likely to be as common as simple calculators are today. We should certainly welcome the fact that the silicon chip will transcend human brain power as the machine has transcended human muscle power. Much less welcome will be the probable reduction of human contact as the new electronic network renders personal relationships ever less necessary. If you don't believe in prophecy, here it is. In such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important, whose members meet one another and talk and listen to one another in person rather than on screen, In this human context of mutual love, the speaking and hearing of the word of God is also likely to become more necessary for the preservation of our humanness, not less. And of course, the availability of screens screens and and the internet is 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 a blessing to us that we're benefiting from in this very moment. And there might be ways it will continue to give us access to people that we wouldn't otherwise reach. But the body is intended to be together. It's something that can't be flattened out onto the flat screen. The church is to be a diverse group of people serving one another in tangible, visible, present place. A compelling witness to the world the power of the gospel to produce what no activism and no social media post by itself ultimately can. And we don't say this triumphalistically because we, we so often have not done this well. We've not shown the world an alternative. And for that we grieve. But this is our only hope. Eric, if you'd come back up, man. Unity cannot create itself. Unity is created by the work of God in the gospel. Social change matters. We're responsible as citizens to love in word and deed 
and pursue policies that will help our neighbors and where any injustice can be remedied in this life, we seek to do our part. And by the way, that's not just a hand-waving phrase. We seek to do our part. We're called to engage things that will help our neighbor, our communities, our city, and our nation. But we know that the systems of this world will never attain what only renovated hearts can produce. That's why this is specifically this family moment, right? It's the body of Christ. An awareness of that enables us to relate in love. Stephen Um says the imagery of the body is not generic. It is specific. It is the body of Christ. The health, well-being, and future of the body are in the hands of the head, Christ. Individual sinners have been incorporated into his body by grace. No one has earned his way in. The most presentable part, the head, was willingly dishonored so that the least presentable parts, you and I, might receive honor. The strongest member was made weak and dispensable in order that the weaker members, you and I, might be considered indispensable. We mutually care for one another because we have experienced his care. Christ completely eschewed the self-protection and self-care in order to care for us. He became lowly and despised and rejected, dispensable, so that we might be incorporated and belong in a way that he considers indispensable. What mercy that is. Nothing in this world can transform us, give us a new name, a new identity, like this has the power to do. And what this means for you and for me, and for all of us, particularly together as Lakeview Christian Center, is that your participation, your role, the unique gifting and areas of ministry that God has provided for you, you're indispensable. We need you. We need the benefit of fellowship with you. We need the the benefit of having your thoughts shave the edges off of our thoughts. We need to sit in small group meetings with you. We need your prayers. We need your life experience. We need the places of humanity that that we haven't been affected by and to know that. And and most importantly of of all, we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, giving you insights that only he can provide empowering you to serve in ways that are supernatural and compelling in this world. We, we need the burdens that God has placed on you. We need those brought to the table. What might not be our first instincts. And what a blessing that is. What a blessing for a, a feral green saying, hey, you know, we, we, we need specific targeted ministry for our seniors. They're in a, a place of life that needs our care. What, what a blessing for a Terry Roboski to have a burden to engage uh, foster care and foster families and to, to serve as salt and light in the surrounding New Orleans area and beyond because of that, right? We, we need, how has God wired and rewired you 
by his spirit and in his wisdom made you a member here to experience all that he has intended to do in our lives and in our shared mission together. How ennobling this is. How amazing his love and kindness is to us. It's difficult to manage. It's not easy to pull off. We will be hurt and offended and offend one another in the process. And yet it is the body of Christ. Let's celebrate together in song and honor what God has joined in our midst and ask him to further the realization of this in days when our fellowship is under strain, in days that are divisive, in days that we are scattered. We hold us together. We pray. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, you took on flesh, fullness of God in hell, this babe, this gift of love. Righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me Fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. 
No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Lord, your church stands in the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit. Lord, we stand one another, each individual members of this body. Lord, we ask that you would help us, God, to live in humility toward one another, in patience, in love. Lord, these are things that your spirit has to do in us. Lord, so we, we, we turn our eyes to Christ. We look at the hope that's been given to us in him. And then we seek, Lord, help us to seek this week and in the days to come to live by your spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.